0: Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now
1: here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And we're back with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany. And today I have my special guest, Dr. Richard Gibney. Dr. Gibney, Well, you tell us, tell my audience a little bit about yourself and what you're doing now.
0: Uh, Well, let's see. I've been a uh, practicing nephrologist for 43 years. I trained in the University of Texas Health Science Center, San Antonio. Uh, I was there for five years uh, in the mid-70s, then came to Waco, Texas. Uh, We grew from... One patient up to about 800 patients now, and uh, 11 dialysis units, and wow. uh, so uh, we do a lot of do a lot of different stuff. Got very ty- uh, connected with IHI Institute of Healthcare Improvement about the whole concept of um, I would say to you, how do you empower patients? Uh, how do you do continuous quality improvement? so uh, we went from being i would tell you we were probably about average as far as our results as far as quality and outcomes Mm -hmm. and now we're the best in the country we do it better than anybody so in april of 19 uh, i retired from the group and said i'm going to spend my full time going around telling people about the opportunities available and then uh, of course uh, that was april of 19 so then in march of or february of 20 the coronavirus hits which really kind of was it's a terrible thing and it's awful and there's no question it's a bad thing but we were forced to kind of step back from what we were doing and say maybe there's something we can do that's even going to be better than what we're doing now uh, the, what we were doing uh, even though we had made huge improvements in quality huge improvements in outcomes um there's always opportunity for doing things better so uh I I would tell you that um, uh, the, um, the latest the, the latest thing we're working on is um that this kind of will, will, will set the tone for the entire uh, talk we have that uh before the pandemic uh, we used to always have, in-person meetings. So, if you had a medical mm-hmm. meeting, whole bunch of people, small, medium, big size would go, and then you'd have periodic breaks. And so, uh, going back in time, uh, you go to that in-person meeting, and then they have a break, and then uh, the story goes something like this: that three people, three of the doctors, thought, "Well, let's walk down to the lake that was close to the to the um, convention center." And uh, they walk, were walking down, and uh, we got closer to the river, and they heard people going, help, help, help. People were obviously in distress. So the three doctors ran down to the river, and uh, the first doctor was a general surgeon. He jumped in the water immediately to race out and, and help somebody to come back to shore. Uh, the second doctor was a kidney doctor, a nephrologist. And the nephrologist took out some, paper, some three by five cards and was going to. Uh, coming up with ideas on what he thought would be the best way to save all these people. And then the third person, (laughs) a family practice doctor. And the family practice doctor, she started to run upstream up the riverbank going upstream. And the other two doctors said, what the heck are you doing? She said, I'm going to go upstream to find out who's throwing all these people in the river to get them to stop. And then we can make some real progress.
1: And so that, that's a good analogy.
0: <laughs> so, that, so that's the. It shows you how how wise primary care doctors are. That let's go upstream. So instead of having a disease focus system, which is how much disease can we have, and then we take care of it after it's become disease. What if we went upstream, and we tried to figure out exactly what was going on? And, and a good example of this is I've seen this recently. Uh, The ASN, um, the um,
1: American Society of Nephrology,
0: American Society of Nephrology had a week-long meeting, and uh, if you looked at the stories that were clinical dialysis stories, there were a lot of uh, papers on the idea that that we should consider trying to identify which patients were at risk. And also, then, to do education for them, that would that would be a good idea to try to help make things better. And the truth is, yeah, to identify people and to educate is a good idea. Uh, the one thing that's kind of uh, uh, made made me very uncomfortable was if you look at the data from the U.S. RDS, which has been there for 50 years. Yep. You say, well, what about them? Well. They've been publishing their data for 50 years. And guess what? Uh, If you look at the most recent data, which has basically been the same forever, 92%, 92% of the patients that have stage one through three, CKD, meaning chronic kidney disease, means that their GFR is between 90 and 30 cc's per minute. So if you've already lost over a third of your kidney function, that's how significant your loss of kidney function could be. And 92% of the people are not aware that they have some kind of kidney problem. And you'd say, well, wait a minute. How did the USRDS get this data? These people had to go somewhere, someplace, sometime, and have blood work drawn. Because otherwise, how can you have a GFR?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So all this data was available, but somehow the ability for our system to communicate that to the patients and say, maybe it's lab error. Maybe it's a minor problem. Maybe it's a medium problem. Maybe it's a serious problem.
1: Somehow we couldn't do that. So let me get this straight. We, we had, so you go get a test. You've gotten your blood work done. And, and I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm uh, on staff. I'm looking at it at, at this doctor's office, but, for whatever reason, that, the fact that, that you've lost a third of your kidney function isn't communicated. Somehow we're missing communication somewhere in there.
0: Correct. And, and uh, it's ironic. And this is another good example of how many good things that are happening. In 2016, Obama passed the uh, CARES Act. Mm -hmm. C-A-R-E-S, CARES Act, Mm -hmm. that was four years ago. And the CARES Act basically said two things. It said you should have interoperability, meaning that if you go to Methodist Hospital or the Baptist Hospital or University Hospital, all that should be uh, available together. It shouldn't be, well, you know, we can't find that information because it's not part of our system. So that's that whole concept of
1: interoperable. All systems should be talking to one another, should be able to communicate with one
0: another. So that if you came to a different hospital, they just have to pull it up on the computer and they can see all the data from the other hospital so they don't have to repeat things or they'll know exactly what was going on prior to arriving at your hospital. So that's Mm -hmm. the issue about interoperability. Uh, The second issue was patient access to their data. Meaning, are the patients allowed to see the uh, notes of the doctors and nurses and everybody that takes care of them? Are the patients able to see their lab work and their x-rays? And of course, the answer is no, because you have this complicated system where frequently the doctor has to see it, and then the nurse has to see it, and then somebody else has to put it in the computer. So even though you may have a patient portal or a way to do it, the, the hospitals and the Doctor's offices and everybody was not very good at it. They just didn't do a very good job of getting it there. And I go back to the CARES Act from 2016 because effective today, November 2nd, after multiple barriers were put in place for this to become a reality, today it's a reality. So today you're going to see that all these different systems, they, they are going to communicate. So when you go to a different hospital and say, well, you know, I was sick somewhere else. And uh, can you get that data to make it easier to find out what's going on? It's available. Or the same thing, the patient, uh, we're going to make it easy for them to look at their data. So let's say, for example, you get to see it at the same time it becomes available to everybody in the system. So let's say you have some tests done and it shows that you have gallstones, you can call your doctor or, or the nurse and say, listen, gosh, I didn't know I had gallstones. And they'll say, uh, uh, gee, uh, we haven't looked at your lab work or your x-ray yet. So, oh, yeah, that's right. You do have gallstones. The point being is that we want to make this a partnership. We want to make it a collaboration. So uh, the smartest, the best, the goodest, the goodest people, good, smart people in America, they're there to help themselves and they are help you. So the people that in the past have been afraid about this and they've always said, oh, you know, this is, you know, we can't do this because, you know, it might be uh, shocking or it might be whatever. Uh, it, but but if you hide it by accident from people so they don't know about it, then how can the patients help themselves? And so what we found, which is changing rapidly, and this is why everybody should be excited, everybody should be thrilled, everybody should be pleased, that the least utilized resource in medicine, historically, has been the patient. Mm-hmm. And that's all going to change now. And so that's a good thing. And That's happening at a time when you have this pandemic. So this, the timing is good because it's kind of, said, the timing is good. Four years after Obama passed this legislation, we finally, it's going to become reality. Sometimes it takes a while to get through the barriers. The second thing is, in doing and saying that, the most powerful resource that we found is the patient. The patient's the most powerful. Why? That's the person with the problem. That's the person that has the challenge or the difficulty. If you will share that knowledge with them and say, here's kind of what's going on, they'll do marvelous, fabulous things. They can't be expected to help you if they don't know about it. So we got to make sure they do know about it. And we can do a better job with that. And then finally, the person, also known as a patient, but the person with the problem, problem has to be part of the solution.
1: Dr. Gibney has been a pioneer in in patient empowerment. Our government uh, noticed Dr. Gibney's work and acknowledged it. Why don't you, because I know you're not going to say anything about it, Dr. Gibney. So let me go ahead and, and uh, give you that attaboy that you you so deserve <laughs> for for your good work. Tell my audience about what you've done to contribute to, uh, to the patient empowerment movement.
0: With this awakening, and, we, and, and, and you're right, my story is that back in 2006, uh, I went to my first IHI meeting that said, you can do better.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we thought, wow, okay. So we've taught us the whole idea of how to do quality improvement. And in 2012, a group from Yonchipping, Sweden came and showed us how self-care, because I'm a kidney doctor, a nephrologist, we're doing all this stuff, kind of in an assembly line way. The patients come in, they have the treatment, they leave, but we don't allow them to be involved in the care in a significant way. So they say, what if you did self-care? Self-care in the sense that if I said to you, would you like control of your medical problems or, or whatever they are? Would you like dignity and hope? optimism and joy going forward. in our experience of course was that 99.99% of people said, well, yeah, heck yeah. So Mm -hmm. we then developed was we changed and then you have to be willing to shift your process and shift your uh, uh, protocols. And because when you shift them, then you say, you know what, for example, we said, okay, how about if we coach and train you how to build your own machines? So instead of us doing it for you, you take the disposables that go with the dia- the dialysis machine, put in the, the lines, the dialyzer, uh, the heparin dose, etc. do vital signs, etc. all that kind of stuff. We had to kind of think about all the barriers of why we could not do this. And of course, all the barriers that we made up all just kind of vanished and went away because we were then going to say, we're going to empower, not self-care, meaning we're giving you something. We're giving you power and, uh, authority to, to make things happen, but we're going to be your coach, your trainer, your mentor, your educator. I meaning we're going to be your support system while you do these great things. And so uh, all this sounds very nice and patients were joyful and happy and they were having a good time. They were coming up with good suggestions on how to do things better because you can't just have one system for everybody. Everybody has different needs. And so, but, but that doesn't, you have to, if you do that, you've got to keep data. Because if you don't have data, then I'll say, well, you know, that's all real nice and sweet, but do you have any evidence this actually has any value? Mm-hmm. So we kept data. And the two key parts, our quality numbers were always very good. But the data that you want to look at, there are three things you want to look at. Uh, the triple aim from IHI started uh, 10 years ago was, number one, decrease the mortality and hospitalization rate. Number two, decrease costs. Number three, improve the patient experience. So what we did and showed that over a four-year period from 2015 through 2018, four years, we dropped the mortality rate in half, dropped the hospitalization rate in half. So obviously you save a ton of money and you also dramatically improve the patient experience because they're not sick. They're healthy and they're happy and they're doing well. So uh, this was really extraordinary. We thought... Most people, if you get a little tiny incremental improvement, you go, wow, it's 0.1 or 0.2% better. This is one half. And you say, well, probably you were cherry picking, like just doing a few really perfect people. No, we did everybody, which proves that all people are good given a chance and an opportunity. And so we were up to almost 500 patients in our clinic that were doing their own care. And they demonstrated the joy, the caring, the love, the sense of service, where they would help the other patients, where they would help the other staff, where uh, it was this whole concept of partnership and collaboration. And that's probably the next place we go. So if you'll empower your staff, if you'll empower your patients, then the next issue we have to talk about is collaboration. How do you get them to collaborate? How do you get everybody to work together as a team Mm -hmm. if you're doing all these magical things?
1: when when you when you go over to a new i want to back up to when you go to a new hospital or a new dialysis unit and you're introducing this to somebody outside of your your system cuz now you you've you've done your 800 patients and and gotten them uh into this system and empowered and moving but how do you go to a brand new place and introduce a concept that is not a part of the thinking with the, within their system.
0: And, I, and again, we're early on in this whole story, but it's exciting because first step is you have to first listen. And you go and you say, tell me what are your, for example, we're working with DCI, a company based in Nashville, Tennessee. We're working with uh, the University of Texas Health Science Center, San Antonio, Dr. Sharma, the chief of renal, and they're, dialysis, transplant, home therapy, CKD program. And I've just begun that journey. So the first step is you say, tell us what are your frustrations? What are your pain points? What are your pressure points? What frustrates you and makes you grumpy? And you say, gee, you know, we're not doing as good a job or, you know, things aren't going as well as we'd like. But you tell us first what that is. Once you've gotten that sense, then our job is to then say, okay, based on that, here are the shifts that we would like to suggest you make in your processes and protocols, because if you won't shift, you know, we've proven over 50 years that if you keep doing the same thing, you know, every process is perfectly designed to get exactly what you get. So if you do it in a certain way where the results are not very good, it will be good, like they'll be bad, like that for 50 years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, okay, now are you willing to change to get dramatically better results in that whole issue of the triple A? So, the first thing we have to work with is processes and protocols. But in doing that, these you're gonna get tiny little victories. For example, you see the patients, like you set up this program of, of teaching and coaching and training for the patients, and you see the tiny victories of the joy and the and the confidence when they can do things themselves and they understand how things work. Uh, you see the joy of, of patients that, if we used to, a, a bad, this is like a bad, really bad word called non-compliant patients. We have none, zero. And before we started doing this, we had tons of them because we, were, we had a bad, uh, the doctors and the nurses, etc. cetera, they were all great, the patients were great, except we had the wrong process. So if you'll switch it to meet their needs, so, for example, putting a, a rancher who's hardworking at his ranch with cattle and, and uh, running a combine and, and raising cotton and uh, wheat, et cetera, he can't come to dialysis three times a week. So what you do instead is you say, well, wait a minute, we can change our, we'll change our system. So we'll set it up so we can do you in the evening or weekends when it works for your schedule. So this is the whole idea. The same thing with people that have, uh, you know, again, we didn't cherry pick. And we, obviously, we started off with the easiest and then moved on to more. But we took the, the patients that were frustrated and angry and unhappy because they didn't like the way things were going. They changed dramatically. You can take the worst. We took people that everybody else had said, no, thank you, that the patients had been abusive or verbally or physically or, uh, quote, supposedly. There are no non-compliant patients, but there are bad systems or bad protocols where you're not receptive insensitive to what people need so uh the lady that uh, was in the hospital she was a a drug addict it was always in the hospital hyper hyperkalemia and fluid overload and so very very bright lady very talented lady smart so anyway what does she do so one day she sees in the hospital she saw a doctor's white coat and zethoscope sitting on the chair she put the white coat on she put the stethoscope on and then went downstairs to get a bunch of food at the cafeteria She's going through the cafeteria to get a whole bunch of free food because she's a uh, given the uh, illusion that she's a physician, a doctor. But The cashier lady notices she's got yellow boots on from like hospital shoes and then calls <laughs> the police, the police come and arrest her for impersonating a doctor. And so uh, from that, the whole concept of can you love somebody? Can you care about somebody? Oh, and then she went from that over a period, it took a while. It wasn't like overnight, but over time, she went from being a drug, drug addict, got around of that drug-related environment where she couldn't get out of it. We helped her get out of it. She got a job at McDonald's and ended up being the, the um, person that was in charge of the night shift at McDonald's, totally turned her life around. A fabulous story. Uh, the, same thing, the same thing with um, a mentally slow people. And you say, well, they're mentally so, so they probably can't do anything. No, they can do great things if you'll adjust your training program. So uh, we were doing a whole bunch of patients, and uh, uh, this one lady got uh, upset. She said, well, what about me? She noticed that the other patients were all pulling their own needles. She said, well, why can't I pull my needles? I can do it. And then she gave them enough pressure that they said, that staff said, okay, well, we'll figure it out. And they trained her carefully. She became, just like all the other people, the person himself pulls their needles at the end of their treatment better than anybody, never drops, spills a drop of blood. So the whole concept here is that if you want to dramatically improve what we're doing, we need to first first awaken to the fact that we've got to get to the person and say, here, let's sit down and explain to you what's going on. Once they know what's going on, then you've got to empower them and say, we're going to give you all the power and control, coaching, training, because otherwise, it's not fair to say, well, good luck. You know, here, here's, here's your stuff. Good luck, and but people are smart; they're bright. And then the collaboration part comes in of saying, well, if you need a pain management person, if you need a uh, a dietitian, a social worker, whatever kind of people, we can bring them in to be part of our team. But at the end of the day, the doctor, the nurse, your core team. Let's say if you're in a dialysis unit, it may be, it may be the uh, it may be the uh, doctor, nurse, social worker, dietitian. typically. If you're in the CKD program, let's say you just have a, and this is how we went went upstream, just like in that story about the family practice, uh, the, the woman family practice doctor that ran upstream to stop people throwing, getting thrown in, in the river. We want to go upstream to get from disease to wellness. So you come to me and I say, gee, Tiffany, you've got some high blood pressure. You have some mild decrease of kidney function. Now, if we can control your blood pressure and keep it well controlled, uh, you have a tiny bit of albumin in your urine, but it, it, it's, it's small. With good control of blood pressure, we can be fine. You'll never be on dialysis. Then that goes from being a very scary, ter- scary, terrible story of saying, you know, uh, you're going to have to go on a kidney machine to saying, we've got, we got your back. Together as a team, working together, you're going to preserve function you're never going on dialysis. Plus, there's lots of new drugs coming out now that are very protective of both the heart and the kidney. And We can use those drugs to shut off the inflammatory process, the scarring, so that our goal, we, don't, we can't do it today, let's say three to five years from now, we won't be putting people on dialysis anymore. We'll be preserving kidney function. We'll be keeping people healthy. So instead of saying, well, you have to go see the kidney doctor, maybe, but we're going to try to do as much as we can with the primary care physicians to work with them, to give them uh, protocols and and simple, uh, precise algorithms to say, here, you do this kind of stuff and then be available anytime for a phone call or any way that they need support to say, you know what, with working with the primary care people, we become kind of just available the majority of the time. Only when things get really complicated, they have to see us, so... Our role becomes more of a cheerleader, supporter person to primary care. And with that, guess what? We then jump to the really important person, which is the patient. So taking like the podcast and saying, well, we only do this for kidney doctors. Well, what about doing the podcast for the primary care doctor?
1: That's right. Well,
0: what about taking it the whole way? How about doing the podcast for the person, the patient? That's right. We like the name patient converted to person. Person's the most important person in this whole scenario.
1: And we're back with On the Record with Tiffany and my guest, Dr. Richard Gibney. And I want to share this with, with you, Dr. Gibney. I was thinking about you this weekend because when on Friday, as the weekend began, I uh, was talking with with uh, you know ASN and some of the other other kidney kidney organizations as my day job is is uh uh with the Texas Kidney Foundation so afterwards I was you know just doing my usual stuff of talking with family and my uh mom contacted me because my cousin had gone to the hospital and apparently he had, he, we, we have kidney issues throughout the family. So there's, uh, so far we've lost four people to COVID-19. Um, and we're, so, so, uh, uh, Abe went to the, to the, uh, hospital and had, um, something had a, a procedure done because his, his kidneys, I guess they weren't, weren't functioning quite right, and so they what my cousin described she said they fleshed out his kidneys. I don't know what that means, and you know when she says that I don't know what what exactly the procedure is, uh but he came home and he was standing there talking to his sister, and he just fell down in pain and said said that he was in pain and never got up again and I thought, man, you know of of uh my mom called me and, and we, you know, we started dealing with, with what this is, you know, and dealing with death again, yet again to uh, kidney related issues. So when I'm dealing, when I'm listening to you as a physician talking about, uh, and, and you're always the one that I think of uh, because of your heart for people. So, when I'm listening to you as a physician, talking about patients and talking about people talking about us, those of us who who uh, don't have the best uh hand dealt to us when it comes down to uh our organs and kidney function i really i I feel like there's hope, you know, and that's what I share with my family when when we're going through these. Uh, untimely deaths and, and uh, difficult, difficult hospitalizations. Uh, And especially since COVID-19, because when you, when you have to say goodbye to somebody and they're about to be intubated, that's a a horrible goodbye, you know, because they know that they're going and that they're going to go alone. So, uh, you know, I'm very thankful to you for, for everything that you're doing to bring all of the, the, uh, the knowledge and the, the best of our programs together to get uh, us what we need, which is some hope and some power, because it feels terrible when you're hopeless. Hopelessness is, is the worst thing we can offer to people. So you're doing something really good. That's why I keep bringing you back. Because I'm like, I, I, you know, my. It's like with when you go to church, the preacher keeps preaching the same sermon, and people are like, "Why do you keep telling us the same thing?" (laughs) You're like, and the preacher says, "I keep telling you the same thing, and I'm going to tell you the same thing until everybody gets it (laughs) and starts doing it." And that's kind of your job. <laughs> You're telling us all the same thing. <laughs> well, uh,
0: again, the, 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 the future is bright and hopeful. It is. So, uh, for example, if uh, you said technically. What, how can you help me technically? First, again, is that awakening. And I've, I've got to figure out how can I make sure that, that we as a medical team are communicating to the person. So that person Mm -hmm. knows that, let's say again, let's say they have diabetes and some mild decrease of function, and they should be on, uh, there are these uh, medications called ACEs and ARBs, and they're uh, blood pressure, and they're good for your heart and protective for your kidneys. Well, We do our surveys, even though this is best practice, evidence-based medicine, 50% of people are not on them. And, and there's again a variety of reasons why, you know, financial, social problems, uh, uh, injustice, social injustice, et cetera, reasons why they're all fixable. We can fix them. We can make them better. So the question is, how do we get you on the drugs you we are, All of us already know you should be on, but somehow you didn't get on them, uh, because the proce- the system just didn't work right. We, we can fix that. Uh, the next thing is, is that there's a relatively new drug that's very expensive because I've mentioned it, mentioned it before, SGLT2 inhibitors. And these are a great drug. They're a diabetic pill, but they also are powerful to stabilize heart and kidney uh, function. Well, January 1st, we get to, instead of paying $600 a month for, the, the, for this medicine, you'll pay $4 a month. Because we can get drugs from Canada, Europe, Australia, so the the cost of drugs will dramatically fall. So we can get you new drugs as they're coming out that are inexpensive and and available to everybody so that the the most delicate in our whole family are not harmed by what's going on. And then finally, there's the, and, and the perfect example that Tiffany's given is the the whole experience with the COVID pandemic is that, 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 that we, we have to, we, we, we will do better, but the focus has all been about, and if you listen to Tiffany's story, a component of her story was medical, about the medical problems. The other component of her story, though, was the spiritual, emotional, and mental uh, problems caused by the pandemic. So we have to do better with that. So for social determinants of health, meaning food, clothing, shelter, simplistically, mental health, for the social injustice uh, that, that's with us, that, that who, who of the whole group have been harmed the most in, in the pandemic? The marginalized, the poor people, the most the most vulnerable, So we need to help all those people. We'll do that, and we'll add that to our passion for technically excellent medicine you can see the greatest doctor in the world but if you don't have any money mm-hmm. and that's another component of this is telehealth god bless telehealth normally yes. we would uh, and one of the best example Tiffany, Tiffany and I would have a meeting in person and i sit there and blah blah I'd talk to her and she talked to me and instead we can do teleconferencing we can mm-hmm. do uh, telehealth so instead of you having to get a car and get your kids in the car and get in the thing and drive there in and waiting room, you can guess what? I'll come to your house. Mm-hmm. I also got a better feeling for who you are. If you have children, if you have dogs and cats, if, if you're poor, if you're rich, whatever. Because uh, again, it's that, again, the sto- you've, you've heard a lot of stories from T- Tiffany and myself. Stories, relationships, and trust. If you know that your medical team loves you, and that's why we had such great success. And, and it's an unconditional love. Uh, you can still can have a lot of trouble and difficulty. we will still love you. We don't care. Uh, our job is to care for you. If we love and care for you, that's a huge deal because we're going to find some way to get you the resources you need so you can be successful.
1: You know, when that- Dr. Gibney is saying that, right. that one of the reasons why... Uh, I really enjoy Dr. Gibney so much is because that is exactly what uh he delivered over his forty years in in uh in medicine and it's exactly what I see at many of the uh practices that I have the pleasure of, of getting to, to uh visit. Um in many of the dialysis units that I've I've had the pleasure of getting to know people who, who are uh, on staff there, you know, some of your social workers, there's just nobody better than uh, and no better resource than, than uh, the social workers. I mean, they have a heart for the people that they're serving the same thing with the nurses. You know, you, you can't, you cannot find a, Better patient advocate, or or a person who is going to advocate for them more than uh, the nurses that are 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 dialyzing them, because often uh, you you see see the the staff at the dialysis unit more than you see your own family, and so they become like family to you. I mean my, my cousin uh Daryl who is, is on dialysis and has been since he was uh twenty one, uh he he's thirty two now. Uh he is uh so devoted to the people that are in his dialysis clinic in Houston. He they are just phenomenal. They're top drawer. They they check up on him like uh they all of the the wins in his life they're a part of it like when he does well at work <laughs> he's sharing it with them you know when he's doing well and and when we're doing something for him as a family they you know they he shares that with them i mean it, it's that that is such a part of the nephrology community you know i would i would say that that component is already there all we have to do is, is uh, tap into that, (laughs) you know, at this point.
0: Exactly. We're, uh, we're taking all that's good and keeping all that's good. That's right. Uh, Don't be shocked within three to five years, we have implantable artificial kidneys. So therefore you, again, another reason why you won't be on dialysis Uh, in three to five years, 80% will be on home therapy because again it'll be so convenient. If I tell you you gotta drag this giant machine with all this disposable products and just fill up your house with stuff, you go, I don't know about that. We give you something that's simple and easy to use it's like going from a giant old old console TV to a little laptop. You'll say, well I can do a laptop. Well you can do if you can do a you can do the same thing with the small uh a portable dialysis machine and those things are coming out Uh, This year, we've already had one come out, there are two more coming out this year, and there'll be uh, more next year. So basically, we're going to make it easy, convenient, and cheap, cheaper, so that we can take that money we save, use it for all the other problems that are going on. And then for all the staff, they have job security. So if we (laughs) do a dialysis, it's okay. We'll go on to something even better. So that we'll say, gosh, you know, remember the days when we used to do this thing called kidney machine treatment, you know, washing machine treatments, we are gonna do it anymore. But we have these other extraordinary things we're doing with monoclonal antibodies and cellular physiology that changes wow. the world. And that's where we're headed. So everybody should, if they do have to go on dialysis, they should take the attitude that uh, they're going to figure out a way to get me off dialysis, to give me a better quality of life, to give me better health. And uh, we're not, we're not going to be satisfied until we can get to that point where we have everybody healthy and well.
1: So, Dr. Gibney, you were talking about how we are focusing on getting people better and making them well. Because, you know, I've, I feel the same thing that you do. This is it's for just such a time as this. We really, everything is kind of converged at the same moment. And we people themselves are ripe and interested in a change. Because nobody wants to be um, vulnerable to, to uh, disease, be it COVID-19 or diabetes or hypertension. Nobody wants to be vulnerable.
0: So uh, at a time like this, I mean, we have to use good sense. If you're a young, healthy person, uh, obviously, uh, your risk factors are dramatically lower, and that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a person that has health, medic- medical health problems like kidney disease, heart disease, lung disease, compromised immune system, dialysis patient, etc., cetera, then you've got to be, uh, obviously, more careful. And, and the options are, you know, from my standpoint, we hear a lot of information from all of the governmental people. Uh, from my standpoint, I think the answer is, obviously, uh, wash your hands like crazy. Uh, why? Because uh, you want to be safe. You want to do mm-hmm. social distancing. You want to wear a mask. I mean, these things are all should be automatics because you want to protect yourself. And there are issues where, you know, as a person, well, I don't know, like, should you go into a crowded room with a whole bunch of people you don't know uh, <laughs> if you don't really have to? Well, the answer yeah. is don't go there. I mean... Again, uh and, and same thing with your family. Uh your family has to be protective of you and say, Don't worry, grandma, grandpa, whoever. Right. No, we got your back. We're gonna keep you safe and we're gonna make sure you you stay healthy. And so 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 uh that that's important. Now at the same time, in the American, I have several friends uh that they're they're quite uh they they they're from uh uh, Taiwan, from Korea, from Egypt, and they think the American people are the greatest people in the world. Uh, they, they think the, the American people have this passion for doing good stuff, and, and the American people are better than anywhere. I have a, a really good friend uh, whose son is a uh, uh, in the military and has had a bunch of tours in uh, the Middle East, and he said, it's always the same when we arrive. The other soldiers there maybe from Belgium or Italy or, mm-hmm. or, uh, Australia. They're all thrilled to see the Americans because the Americans are the can do people, they're the ones that can innovate and figure out how to do better. So again, for all of the, uh, for all the people that are listening, uh, realize that you are the, we are, we Americans are the best people in the world. We uh, are been given our freedom and liberty to do good things. We also are caring and loving people that want to protect and give service to protect the people that are not in good a situation. So if you see people that are more compromised out your way to say, "What can I do to help them? What can I do to protect them?" We will all get through this together. Mm-hmm. for this. Nothing lasts forever. Right. Uh, everything lasts for a while, and this may be gone tomorrow or next month or in June, or I don't know when it's going to be gone, but for for now we must be diligent and protect each other and care about each other. And if we protect them and care about each other and do all the correct things medically, we're going to be fine.
1: You know, the, the, that is great advice. And the, the wonderful thing about, uh, American ingenuity is that, uh, we are willing to link arms and and uh, proverbially and figure out how to to uh, solve a problem so you know what I love about our community about the nephrology community and i'm I'm just speaking about the nephrology community as a whole is that we have people that that uh, are constantly thinking through the process. You know, uh, Dr. Uh, Kumar Sharma over at at uh, UT Health Science Center, uh, San Antonio, is. I believe, and I've said this many times to him and to to others. I believe that he 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 holds uh, the the uh, key to a lot of 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 breakthroughs that will come for for kidney patients. Uh, in in that. Wonderful brain of his, <laughs> and you know, and there are others like uh, Don Wesson who who does uh, um, did a great study on on veganism and and uh, and preventative measures that and has done done a lot of prolific work on preventative measures that people should be taking in in kidney disease. Like there's a whole whole network of you out there working on this uh, subject. So when even though uh, people don't, the general public doesn't know a lot about kidney disease, there are are folks that have devoted their entire careers and lives to uh, studying this and understanding it so that they could bring uh, help to us uh, at this time, and they're doing that. They're doing that through programs, and and that's part of why uh, I'm doing this is so that that uh, the voice of 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 these hardworking uh, doctors and uh, medical professionals can be heard because they're doing doing uh, a great service to us. We just just need to uh, know about it and utilize it i'll give you an example quickly of the
0: best people in the world are the patients again Mm -hmm. so give people patients persons permission to be part of the team that's right team so in the dialysis unit a patient comes up and says you know we're washing our arms when we first come in to get our arm to make sure it's clean you put out those little cups of uh, mouthwash we could gargle with mouthwash at the same time, because that would help to try to decrease the amount of dental trouble we have. Mm-hmm. Idea that the, was that was proposed, and we do we do by the person, the patient. It was his suggestion. And another lady comes up, and uh, we have a very low catheter rate for uh, doing dialysis, and so uh, the perm casts uh, we don't we, we like it to be zero, but ours is only about three to five percent, very low. So a lady comes up and says, you know, I think I could do this myself instead of the nurse. And we said, really? So we, of course, we, did. there's nothing that they can't do. I can tell you right now, anything we thought they couldn't do, they can do. So uh, patients are all powerful. So uh, we said, okay. So we, we obviously, again, coached and trained her how to do it. And then she says, you know, if you could get those uh, moving mirrors at Walmart, it costs about 20 bucks. And then sometimes I have trouble doing this. And I could then see better to do my, my uh, catheter care. And then there are a, a few chubby people here in the dialysis unit that haven't seen the bottom of their feet in a long time. And they can put their foot out and see the bottom of their foot in the mirror. And that would be good, too, because you want them to know their body. Again, these are, this is a suggest, suggestion from the patient. And then finally, uh, a lady comes in. She says, you know, a friend of mine does yoga. And she thought that I should ask you about doing yoga for the patient sitting in a chair for their upper body strength, their arms and, and, uh, uh, and their uh, breathing and their relaxation type stuff, with the, which would help the treatment. So we started teaching. how uh, had a person come in once a week to teach yoga with them sitting in the chair while they're having their treatment. And again, very powerful And the patients then took upon themselves to say, you know, we could do a little yoga. We changed the waiting room. Waiting rooms are bad. That's the other thing. Waiting rooms are bad. Uh, So you change the waiting room to a gathering place where the people that are dialysis, CKD, whatever, um, can communicate and get together and say, let me tell you what it's like to be doing this or doing that. Because they all have similar problems. And they show success stories and say, look, let me tell you about the success I've had doing this and that. So uh, from our standpoint, uh, and and again, do you have to be careful in the pandemic? Well, sure you do. Uh, But uh, at the same time, people have to move in and out. You can't just say, well, you can never come here. Uh, So people do move in and out. But you can use the people with the experience to say, I have that kind, and this is what I did to make it better. So I I think we – our job is that what we've worked on diligently is to take as much uh power and give as much uh a power to the patients as possible because the return has been uh tremendous
1: What would you say has been the the most the best piece of advice that you've you've gotten from a patient
0: uh best piece <laughs> Best piece of advice from a patient. Uh, I used to I used to ignore it. And, <laughs> and and obviously we our results were not that good. Uh, the the best patient the best best advice I ever got from a patient was uh it was an older guy who I was sitting with who was extremely unhappy. And after we'd had I'd listened to his whole story, he'd said, you know, if you would simply listen to the patient, you could do a lot better job because then you'd know what the patient really needed as opposed to what you thought he needed. So he said, do what is important for the patient, not what you think or what you, uh, you know, what, what you're thinking may be totally unrelated to what the patient needs.
1: Um, and so- you know what, Dr. Gibney, I'm going to end it there because that's is probably the most important advice that anyone can give to any medical professional. Talk to the patient and listen. Listen to what the patient has to say when they're talking because they're gonna tell you exactly what they need. Thank you, Dr. Gibney, for talking to us about patient empowerment. And I'm looking forward to all of the great work you're gonna do Now that you're working with all of these other groups and bringing people together, uh, I look forward to seeing what you and and, uh, UT Health Science and DCI, I look forward to seeing what all of you do uh, in the future, because I know it's going to benefit those of us who are are dealing with uh, chronic kidney disease. Thank you so much. And I look forward, you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany, and I look forward to seeing you again, Dr. Gibney. You're always welcome.
0: Thank you so much. You're the best. God bless. Have
1: have a good day.
0: Hey, take care. God bless. Bye-bye. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for
1: On the Record with Tiffany on 930am The Answer.